Are you struggling to come up with motivations for a somewhat complicated plot? What I mean is, are you having a hard time figuring out what the motivations are? Maybe not even for a single character, but for a group of people, perhaps? Or, you know, maybe they're more like political motivations, that sort of thing. So it's just kind of a tier above a single character motivation. And more specifically, how to weave those motivations and the threads together in a way that is both satisfying to the reader and logically leads to the end of the story. If so, then you are in the right place because I am going to talk about this today. I'm going to help you boil down the motivations that you are looking for into something simple. And then after that, you can build them back up into a more complicated beast that is your story. I know it sounds kind of like a lot, but it's not as hard as you think it is. So stay tuned and we'll get into that. Hi there, aspiring fiction author. Welcome to Fiction Author Business School. Do you want to write your stories with ease and confidence? Do you find yourself Googling how to write a fiction book or how to write a character arc? Do you want to create a fiction empire, but you can't even finish the story you're currently working on and you find yourself doubting it will even be good enough? Hi, I'm Liesl. I too have been writing stories since I was just a kid. I wanted to do something about my fiction writing dreams, but got information overload every time I looked for writing help because there's just so much out there on the internet. I wanted confidence that I wouldn't disappoint my readers and a plan to publish regularly. I knew the foundation of any author career, including the marketing aspect, is a stellar and well-written story, but I didn't know how to be sure that my story was solid. I went on a journey to figure out what really makes readers tick and how to incorporate those addictive elements into my story. In this podcast, you'll find specific tactical fiction writing tips, solutions to writing more words more efficiently, and secrets to mastering your author mindset. So put on your fuzzy slippers, grab a notebook and pen and some chocolate, and let's write some fiction. Okay, so about a week ago, I went into my Facebook group and I asked for what people were struggling with so that I could get some ideas for new podcasts. And it's not that I don't have ideas or that there aren't plenty of places to find them, but I want to know what specifically the people who are following me are struggling with so I can help you directly. Now, I did tell everybody to be super specific because, you know, just saying things like I need help with character arcs. I mean, there's like a hundred different podcasts I could do on that. So I do need you to be specific about what you are specifically struggling with today and with your current, you know, manuscript or work in progress. Now, despite all of that, I had to kind of chuckle at this question because it is super specific. I mean, that this is a question, so I'm just going to read it to you. So the answer here says world building, more specifically, socio-political motivations, desires, etc., of different groups or factions within a diverse society. <laughs> yeah, that's a loaded question right there. <laughs> Um, But I do kind of like it. Here's the thing about world building is that world building covers so much. I mean, I could literally do 30 different podcasts on world building and they would all be completely different. So I do like how specific it is. And if you're writing a story that has to do with political motivations, then that becomes harder than just writing motivation for a single character, right? Um, And then the person who asked this um, followed up and said, well, to be even more specific, how to weave the threads together in a way that is both satisfying for the reader and logically leads to the inevitability of the way the story, the events unfold in the story. It seems like the more I build into my story, the harder this gets. Sure, absolutely. It is harder the further you go into your story. And that's why I think we have to boil things down to their simplest form. And it doesn't mean we have to leave them in their simplest form. You can certainly build them back up again um, in order to fit, you know, whatever story that you're telling. But, um, you know, you have to understand the simplest building blocks of the story or of the character in order to really effectively 
tell the story, right? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I do remember feeling this way when I was getting started. I've, you know, I've always been someone who loves complicated stories. And it's funny because even what I'm going to talk about um, in Thursday's podcast, both of them this week have to do with complicated complexity in a story versus simplicity in a story. Neither is right or wrong, but we do need to make things simple enough for readers to understand, but we also need to make them simple enough that we as authors are not losing our minds trying to keep track of all the threads, right? Um, So I remember feeling this way when I first started out because I've always loved to read complicated stories, and that's why that's what I write now. But as I started out, I probably wasn't very good at writing complicated stories. You know, it is a skill. You should probably start out with a very simple narrative and then work your way up to more complicated things, just like any skill. It's going to take some time and some experience for you to get to the point where you are a skilled enough author to do that. Um, However, I I do remember feeling like I wanted to do this sort of thing. And um, I knew that I didn't know enough about politics to really do it. I mean, there's some things that you just don't know when you're 20 years old, unless you've actually studied them or something, and then that might be different. But you get older, you follow politics, you experience the world, and you experience the truth of the world as opposed to what certain, perhaps, political narratives would have you believe, and you come to really understand the basics of human behavior and human motivation. And here's the thing. This is super important for authors. This is something that I don't think is spoken about enough in the author space, and that is that you really need to understand people to write a really compelling story. And let's face it, people are complicated. Um, you know, people do have a million different motivations and a million different pulls on their time and their belief system, and we can be very nuanced in what we believe. So if you don't understand the basics of human motivation and how to convey it to your readers, your stories are never going to ring true. So obviously, nailing down your motivations is huge. It's, I mean, if you never do that, you're never going to be very successful as a writer. I'm sorry to say it that bluntly, but it's true. Um, So writers really need to be people watchers and people analyzers. And I think most of them are naturally, we we tend to analyze motivations and we tend to analyze story and figure out the motivations and the stories that we love, whether it's a book or a movie or a TV series or a play or what have you. Um, So here's the thing. Most people assume because human beings are so complex and because we are so nuanced and there's so many different facets of our personalities and all of that, that there must be a million different motivations that we can possibly have. And that, my friend, is actually not true. Um, Despite what people commonly think, there are really only a handful of true human motivations. So it's much like what we talk about in stories. We talk about how there's no, there aren't really any unique stories. There's like four or five different unique stories. And beyond that, it's always the details and the particular characters and the world they're in and the situation they're in that makes things different and interesting, right? The same is true of human motivations. There really are only a handful of true human motivations. Everything else boils down to one of those. And if you can nail those down, then you can build them up and make them, um, you know, make it more complicated sounding so that it will fit your story. Now, let me give you a quick example of this. So I am into crime and true crime, and I study serial killers and all of that. Um, Because of that, I watch a lot of true crime. And... I've heard more than once on whatever true crime documentary I happen to be watching at the time, I hear detectives talk about this. And these are real life homicide detectives who've been on the job for 20 years and have 
investigated a lot of murders, and they they actually kind of chuckle about um, crime fiction, and they say, you know, there's all these twists and turns, and all these really complicated things, and the the killer always believes in some ancient, um, you know whatever it is, pagan tradition, and they're doing these really complex ceremonies and rituals. And that's all great. I mean, I'm not knocking that. I've written stuff like that before. And it's super fun when it comes to the fiction side of things. But detectives chuckle about that because what they say is that murder usually boils down to one of three to five things, depending on how you're categorizing them. Okay, there's love, money, saving face or hiding something and revenge. And that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, again, depending on you might put things in different categories, but um, we all know that in domestic situations, if the wife's going to leave an abusive husband, he could kill her for it. That's actually, unfortunately, very common. Okay, then there's money, people getting killed for the insurance or getting killed for um, the inheritance or the other paid out, right? Um, trying to hide something like a secret life or bad behavior or the fact that they've been embezzling money, something like that. Someone's going to expose them and then they get murdered. And then, of course, there's revenge. You did something to me, I'm going to get you back, you know. Most murders, yeah, the details are different, the investigations are different, the people are different, of course, and so there can be a lot of twists and turns in, in any given case, but the motive usually boils down to one of just a few things. And every single murder case that these detectives have ever worked has been one of those things. That's their point, is that humans, they are complicated, but they're not as mysterious as most of us wish we could be. (laughs) So, okay, so what does this have to do with, with the question? When it comes to motivations, there's a few questions that I want you to ask yourself. And you can ask this about an individual character. You can ask it about a group, like a socio-political group. You can ask it about an entire community or an entire culture, okay? But to understand the motives, either of a single person or a collection of people, you need to understand these things. So the first thing I want you to ask yourself is, do they have passion? Now, most people, I would say the answer should be yes across the board, because whatever they're doing, they have to have enough passion for it to do it, right? But then we're going to get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty. What is it they're passionate about and why? That is really the core of your motivation. So even if you're talking about socio-political groups, as a group, they have to be trying to accomplish something, and you need to understand what their motivations are, okay? So... Let's say that they are an animal rights activist group. Then what their motivation is, is to save animals from cruelty and to um, find homes for stray animals. And, you know, whatever it is that their mission statement is or their dogma is, that is what they're passionate about. And why? Because they're animal lovers, because they hate to see animal cruelty, because, you know, maybe they've seen it before and they vowed never to let another animal go through that if they can help it. You know, this is how you come up with their motivations. Um, the next question, so the, we've got, do they have passion? What is their passion and why? And the third question is, what lengths will they go to achieve that thing they're passionate about? And this is where you start to straddle the line between hero and villain. Are they willing to do despicable things to um, achieve that thing they're passionate about? Or will they stay within a moral area while they're doing it? Okay, so that kind of helps you determine whether this is going to be a good character or a bad character. So here's the thing. I said that there's really only a handful of motivations um, that motivate (laughs) people, right? When it comes to, I I called them positive motivations, but you would call it people who are, you know, quote unquote, good people, the heroic ones, the peaceful ones who aren't villains, right? The main thing that motivates most people is their own happiness or contentment, right? Um, Secondarily, it's helping people. 
And third is making the world a better place. And of course, those are very overarching goals. You know, when it comes to their own happiness or contentment, that's probably going to extend to members of their family that they care about. They want their family members to be happy and content. Um, when it comes to helping people, it's going to extend to helping their family members or their neighbors or their good friends, right? So we can make it a lot more complicated, but these are the basic things. It's about our personal happiness. And then once we're happy, we start to be able to help other people. And then we want to make a bigger difference in the world and make the world a better place, right? That is what most business people, entrepreneurs, um, companies, you know, that, that is what their mission statement is made up of, is the way in which they want to create a positive change in the world. Now, of course, there are also negative motivations. <laughs> These are the ones more like what the detectives talked about, that people who are, you know, quote unquote, bad, villainous, immoral, have a criminal mindset, they are the ones that are going to be more motivated by money, is one of them. Revenge, hiding their vices. That's what I talked about, them having a secret or something. And also love. And that seems a little counterintuitive, but, you know, let's face it, it's love. It's a motivation for everything. Um, now, you could actually say that in a lot of ways, this, all of these negative motivations, you could actually boil them down further and talk about how all of them are in service of the villain's happiness and contentment because they are not happy or don't think they will be happy unless they have money. Or if somebody, you know, did them wrong, did them dirty, they're not going to be happy unless they get revenge on that person. They think the vices in their life make them happy and don't want to do without them. So they might be willing to kill or just do something else that's despicable to keep that vice and to keep that secret. You see what I mean? But it all kind of boils down to the same thing, right? Hey guys, I am interrupting this episode for just a quick minute to tell you that it is brought to you by Pro Writing Aid. This is a software that helps you edit by showing you where there are problems in your manuscript. Do you sometimes feel like your writing is amateurish sounding? Like no matter how much you edit or how good your grammar is, it still feels just more trite than your favorite author who is already published and widely read? Well, I can tell you that if you have this problem, the amateur sound of your writing comes from using too much passive voice. And that is just one of the things that Pro Writing Aid can help with. It shows you where you have grammar mistakes, typos, and yes, it does show you where passive voice is so that you can fix it. And I promise you that as soon as you get rid of that passive voice, the amateurish feel of your writing will go away as well. So if that's something that your writing could benefit from, go to bit.ly forward slash one. They have three different tiers of payment plans. You can pay by the month, by the year, or you can do one lifetime payment so that you never have to pay for it again. So there's something for every budget. Never worry about your writing sounding amateurish again. Go to bit.ly forward slash one and check out Pro Writing Aid. So now let's talk more specifically about sociopolitical motivations. If you have a group, a sociopolitical group, um, you have to ask yourself whether their motivations are negative or positive. Are they more after money, um, power and control is a big one when it comes to politics and also maintaining their vices, which is just usually a certain lifestyle they've become used to, whether it's um, a certain level of money or a certain level of power or other specific vices that they have, right? They want to keep those. And so those would be negative sociopolitical motivations. Positive sociopolitical motivations, man, that is a mouthful to say, are things like liberation, independence for other people. So again, if it's, you got to look at whether you're, you're um, dealing with positive or negative motivations here, because if you have a group, again, let's say it's an animal rights group that genuinely um, loves animals, they are looking for animals to be well, to be um, in good 
situations, you know, go to good families or, you know, if we're talking about wild animals to be in their natural habitat, they're talking about liberation for these animals and teaching them to be independent and take care of themselves, right? But that can be true of people. It can be true of any cause that they are throwing themselves behind. So the next question you need to ask, especially about sociopolitical motivations, is whether their cause, their devotion to their cause is real or if there is an ulterior motive. Because let's face it, we know that there's a lot of corruption in politics and you have to ask, why are they doing this? Why are they following this cause? Is their belief in the cause sincere or are they just saying and doing these things in order to get something else, right? So um, it could be that they follow a certain cause because they believe that cause is going to get them more money, more power, more of whatever it is that they want, and they don't really believe in the cause, they're just doing it for some other reason. So that's another thing that you have to take into account. Is this group or these characters or the character that you are working with in your story, are they sincere in their belief in that sociopolitical cause, or are they doing it Um, for some other means. Okay, so these are all questions that you need to ask. So the basics of what I would say is that you need to boil your characters or your group's motivation down to the basics. What are they doing? What are they after? What do they want? And if they are doing one thing, but have an ulterior motive, then you have to take that into account. Okay, that actually makes it more complicated. Because if you have someone who is pro-dog rights because they're a dog lover and they are genuine in their belief of that, then that's going to inform everything they do in the story. That's going to inform every choice they make. They want good conditions for dogs in the world and they want, you know, maybe they want money coming into their foundation. Maybe they want um, speakers to come and spread the word and all of that. But all of it is in service of what they genuinely believe. On the flip side, if you have someone who is not uh, sincere in their belief in the cause, then you have to keep that in account as well. So you have to, you're going to be dealing with dual motives there. They may be keeping up their ruse about being part of this socio-political organization in order to keep their cover. But what they're really trying to do is keep their money or keep bringing money in to support themselves when they really have no belief in this cause. So then you're going to have to deal with what they're actually doing to get their actual motivation, which is the money. But then on top of that, they have this this extra layer that is a mask where they pretend to care about this cause in order to get the money. So that does make it more complicated, right? But it still is something that you can do and it's actually really something that's fun to play with. So like I said, the best thing I can tell you to do is boil down the group's motivations until you understand rock bottom in the most simplistic way what it is they're after. And then from there, you can layer up. You can put in more details. You can put in more complications until it fits the story that you're telling, okay? So then we come to the second part of the question, which is about how to, um, let me uh, read it one more time so I don't mess it up. How to weave the three the threads together in a way that is both satisfying for the reader and logically leads to the inevitability of the way the events unfold in the story. It seems like the more I build into my story, the harder this gets. So what I would say is once you understand the character motivations or the group's motivations at every juncture of the story, with every turn of events, with with every new thing that happens, ask what each of the characters or factions want and how they could turn those events to their advantage, right? So Assuming that during the first part of their sto- of your story, the characters are sort of reacting to things, okay, they might not be shaping events. There might be events happening around them and they are just reacting to them. 
But one thing that you need to ask yourself is what they want, what these events happening, how that will affect what they want and them, right, and their motivations. And ask yourself how especially a socio-political group could turn these events to their advantage. That's something that we kind of know <laughs> that socio-political groups do. With any new event, with any new bill, any new possible law, with every new war, they tend to look at it through the lens of either how can this benefit me or how can I use it to get what I want, okay? Now, that may sound really cynical, but we know that that's true. If you look at the world around you in politics, that's not everybody on the planet, but that's why most people don't like politicians all that much because this is what they do, right? Um, also understand that it doesn't necessarily have to be negative. I know everything I just said makes it sound really sleazy. And in probably 99% of sociopolitical situation, there's a little bit of sleaze going on. You know, let's, let's be real about that. But not all manipulation is bad. The word manipulation gets a really bad rap because it always, it has a bad connotation, right? But let's look at something else that actually could be good, just so that you can see it through a different lens. And I've probably used this analogy before, but I'm going to use it again because it's a good one. Getting your kids to clean their room. Okay, if you can motivate your kid to clean his room using games or contests or hey, you know, Batman can clean his room in five minutes. You think you can beat him? You know, something like that and get him to make it into a game and something fun and clean his room. That's so much better and so much easier than screaming at him to do it or punishing him because you've told him five times and he hasn't done it or, you know, all the other things that so many parents do and they just don't, it doesn't ever occur to them that maybe they could make it into something fun. But let's face it, that still is a form of manipulation. You are manipulating him into thinking that cleaning his room is fun. <laughs> Okay, so it doesn't have to be bad. You could have a genuinely um, good character who has some sort of sociopolitical cause, and he or she really is manipulating events to get what they want, but they would see it as being the greater good. If I can get this, then it will benefit my cause, which really will make the world a better place. Okay, so it, like I said, just keep in mind, this doesn't have to be negative. It can be positive, too. So... In order to weave everything together, like you said, and make it feel satisfying to the reader and also plausible and inevitable to where the story leads, after knowing the motivations, which I've already gone over in great detail, um, at that point, it becomes a cause and effect game. And, and here's the thing. You're seeing, you're seeing two different things here, and I don't think you realize that they're the same thing, or rather, doing one will automatically lead to the other. So you're saying, um, how do I create satisfaction for the reader is number one, but also make the ending inevitable because one thing just, in, again, inevitably leads to another, right? But what you aren't quite putting your finger on is that if one thing inevitably leads to another, you will automatically create reader satisfaction. Readers love to see that. They love to see the domino effect about how one thing leads to another and nothing else could have happened except this outcome, okay? It starts to feel like fate. It starts to feel like destiny. And if you can do the cause and effect, then there really will be no other outcome than the one you laid out. And the reader will automatically love that because they can see the way it's laid out. That's, cause and effect is how you get rid of 
deus ex machina, okay? It's how you can set up things that might feel a little out of the blue, but they're really not because you set them up and the reader goes, oh yeah, I remember that. She told me that was coming and I just didn't put it together. And those are how you get these really fun plot twists that the readers love because it surprises them, but it also makes sense, right? If it surprises them, but there's no logic to it, then that's where you, when you're going to get people saying, oh, that's unrealistic. That couldn't have happened. That was out of a clear blue sky. That was dumb, you know? But if you set it up logically and you show the cause and effect, they're going to love it. Okay, so here's what I would do if this is something that you're struggling with. Number one, figure out, like I said, either the character or the group's motivations, boil them down to the most basic things, and then build up and make them more specific from there. So, I mean, just in case you don't know what I mean, um, let's say you boil a character's motivation down to um, they just... Let's say it's a villain and you want them to do a certain thing, you know, a crime sort of thing, and you're trying to figure out what their motivations are. And you say, well, this villain wants money. Why? Because, you know, they're motivated by money. Why? Because they think money will make them happy. And you can even go down, you know, we could get into the backstory. Why? Well, maybe they were raised by parents who told them the only thing worth having in this life is money. You know, you know I mean, you can go down and you can figure out their motivations. And then from there, you can build it back up and make it specific to their character and their situation, right? Once you have their motivations, their core motivations, then at every juncture of the story, whether you're using plot points or going through your chapters one at a time, doesn't matter. However, your writing process is just ask yourself at every single turn, uh, how would this affect the character? What, what do they want? How could they, you know, um, what decisions would they make if this happened? Because they would want to turn this to their advantage and see how that changes the story. See how that changes the outcome. See how that changes the cause and effect. Um, if you can get them to make decisions that will lead to the events that you wanted in your story anyway, then it becomes sort of magical and it all falls together, okay? So I hope that's helpful. I hope that the, you can take that and work through your story but really, it just comes down to the basics of storytelling. You need to understand the character's motivation, and then you have to create a cause and effect chain of reaction between the events in your story, because that's really what you're trying to do. That is the ultimate goal when you're planning your story structure is for the ending to be inevitable. But that only comes if you're using cause and effect with every single event that happens in your story. If you get to one where you can't figure out the cause and effect, you're probably going to need to add in an element in order to make it work, or maybe you need to re-examine motivations, and you know you can always add a character with specific motivations in order to make something happen. So there is that too. All right. Um, so yeah, that's basically it. It boils down to just those few steps: figure out the motivations, do the cause and effect, and um, you know, plan your story. <laughs> and it's probably harder than it sounds, especially at first, but if you can figure it out for one manuscript, it'll become easier with each one. And you'll start to just very naturally figure out your stories this way, and then it won't be as difficult to create the cause and effect. Of course, if you're using or writing complicated stories that have to do with, you know, sociopolitical events, economics, you know, when you're creating whole civilizations or basing it on real life wars and conflicts, of course, it becomes more complicated to make sure that the motivations line up. But it just takes a little bit more time. And if you're willing to do that and to tell a really good story, you will be rewarded by the readers loving that and, and letting you know that it was well written. So um, I hope that helps. And I hope that answers your question from the Facebook group. And um, even if you're not writing those, you know, sociopolitical stories, I think that this 
is going to be true for any story you write for any character. All right. Um, if you have not yet, make sure and pick up my free PDF, 10 Plot Thickening Events for a page-turning story that goes through the plot points. And one thing you could do when I tell you to do cause and effect is you could practice using the 10 plot points and make sure that there's a cause and effect between each plot point so that one leads to another. Um, I would recommend you do that anyway, even if it's just as practice, even if you don't use what you come up with in particular, it's a really good way to start training your brain to think in terms of cause and effect. So um, you can get that for free at bit.ly forward slash 10 plot, and I will link that up in the show notes. Uh, beyond that, everyone have a wonderful week of writing, and I will be back in a few days with a new episode. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today. Before you go, would you be willing to do me a solid? If you found any value at all in this episode today, would you be willing to share it with other authors just like you in the hopes that they might find some value in it as well? Happy story crafting this week. Remember, only you can bring the world the unique story that you are trying to tell. Only you can succeed in your own unique way in getting it out of your mind and your heart and into a medium where it can reach thousands if not millions of salivating readers. You don't have to worry about failure because there is always a market for awesome.